Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I've got the eye of the tiger. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm Alan Seals, and our guests, two guests for this episode, are continuing the Anne Juliet Broadway Takeover. This is episode three of five of the Takeover, and we have with us Luke Shepard and Jen Weber, Jennifer Weber, who are the director and choreographer, respectively, of the show, uh, both on the West End and here on Broadway. And actually, right before we had recorded this interview, they had just opened Anne Juliet in Melbourne, Australia. So this show is exploding. It's really cool to talk about this process they put together making this show. And and there's a few shows that that when you put all these pieces together, they just make lightning in a bottle. And, and I really think personally that Anne Juliet's is one of these shows that's going to last for a long time because it has all the elements uh, of of one of these shows that that everyone's going to want to see no matter what their background is. So, you know, it's as much the luck of the people that you work with as your own indiv- individual talents bringing it all together to make this happen. Please go see Anne Juliet. It's the best. Find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. Leave a rating, leave a review, and everybody, please enjoy this episode now with Luke Shepard and Jen Weber. Today's guests are two of the creative geniuses behind the runaway Broadway hit Anne Juliet. Luke Shepard, who directed the show here on Broadway, also directed it on the West End, where it already has won three Olivier Awards. And he was also the associate director for Matilda the Musical here on Broadway a few years ago. A little fact I did not find out about until recently. Jen Weber, who choreographed Anne Juliet, also choreographed K-pop on Broadway and is the co-creator director, and choreographer of the hip-hop Nutcracker, which will be available on Disney+. And this, the the previews, everything I've seen about it look phenomenal. Luke and Jen, welcome to the Theater Podcast. How's it going? Uh, Luke, where are you joining us from? You're just saying you're, you're jet-lagged. Are you in some remote fun location? Well, right now I'm home in London. Um, but Jen and I were both just in Australia opening and Juliet in Melbourne. Um, and I got back. I think yesterday, although I'm so topsy-turvy, I can't really work out what day is what at the moment. So Jen, are you still in Australia? No, I'm back in New York, but I got I got back a few days earlier because Luke went on an adventure after we opened and I went on an adventure before we started rehearsal. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So you, you took the time to at least get a little bit of vacation in, it sounds like. Yeah. Australia is amazing. We had the absolute best time putting up the show in Melbourne. So uh, it, all the crazy travel was totally worth it. Did you, uh, did you guys do the, the Bay Harbor bridge climb? Um, well, I did, I went to visit Sydney, um, at the end. Um, and like the taxi driver was like, the one thing you must not do is climb the bridge. Why? 
He said, it's so expensive and it's so overrated. He's like, go to the beaches, go and do everything else, but don't waste your time doing that. It's literally like you could walk across it and you'll get the same experience. I'm sure it's brilliant. You know, save something for next time. Well, that cab driver, I don't like that cab driver. That when I went to Sydney, that was one of my favorite experiences. And I also did the bridges and the zoos and all the other like hold a uh, koala, you know, the, the, the yeah. typical things that you do when you do go to I, Australia. It's about this podcast before I went and then I'd have known. But never <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I've ever talked about that on this podcast before. But now, you know, now we have. Um, so, and Juliet, I didn't know it was opening in, in Australia, but is it normally this uh, close together between opening on Broadway and then like another major city like that? Because I, or is it just like, this is so freaking successful, we just have to put it everywhere? I mean, I think it's quite unusual. Um, and um, we've got an incredible uh, producer in Australia called Michael Castle, um, who also produces Hamilton over there. Um, and he saw Anne Juliet very early on in London. Um, before the pandemic hit and I think just fell in love with it and was like I want to do this um, and so yeah I guess like it probably at the time felt quite far away but because of the pandemic which pushed back Broadway they've ended up a little bit closer um, but yeah I think it's quite unusual but I have to say I'm, I'm really enjoying it it's been it's been amazing to go from New York to, to Melbourne and to, to to see that kind of that journey for the show. Do you, do either of you have the full context around where the concept for the show even came from? Because jukebox musicals are not a new thing. And you can either kind of go um, jukebox musical format of the story is about the person who wrote the songs, like A Beautiful Noise, Neil Diamond, right? It's Neil Diamond songs in a Neil Diamond musical. Whereas something like Jagged Little Pill is a completely original story being told through Lannis Morissette songs. So... The concept here of Anne Juliet being a collection of songs all by the same songwriter seems so out of left field to me, but it putting putting them all together and taking your typical songs that are sung as solos, like I Want It That Way, and making them an argumentative duet, just in context of the show, are brilliant. So I, I will stop rambling here. Does, can, can either of you talk about where this even came from? Uh, well, maybe I'll go, I'll go first and then Jen can pick up the next part of the story. I mean, Max Martin is just such an inspiration and also the nicest, nicest person. I had never, ever heard of him when I got sent this through. Um, and as soon as I did kind of Google him, I was like, oh, wow, this guy's written a lot of great songs. Yeah. But I'm, I've never been like a pop geek. Like I'm a theater nerd. That's my thing. I listen to show tunes. Um, to the point that like when I had my interview for this um, and, you know, one of the kind of music producing team was like, hey, Luke, what's your favorite pop song? I literally blanked and did not know what to say. And I said Despacito, which I think is a brilliant song. Um, and actually, if I'd have been really honest, like the first single I ever bought was like Barbie Girl by Aqua. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's my vibe. Like that is the extent of my pop experience. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Um, but I think what drew me to it and everyone to it is that it does have this, this, this voice to it, this unifying voice of Max Martin and he works with his collaborators and we're very proud. Um, and we, um, and, and these songs are made with, with Max's collaborators as well, but he is the common thread through them. So I think you do have this kind of authorial voice in those, in those songs. 
a composer's voice in those songs. So it is really a new musical. It just happens to be the songs were written by someone, but they were written before the show existed. And it, it is really weird when you dig into it. Like you have like Juliet singing, hit me baby one more time. My loneliness is killing me. And then in Stronger, she sings, my loneliness ain't killing me no more. You have these like dramaturgical arcs that are in Max's music. You know, I want it that way. Literally, I and I want song. Um, they literally <laughs> that way. The only thing we had to work out was exactly what it was that they wanted. Um, so I, I, there was always a musical there to be made. And um, really, it was just about kind of unraveling that. And the true genius behind making it work is David Westfried, the... Uh, the book writer who dreamt up this world. Um, He'll say um, that he dreamt it up while he had concussion. Um, And uh, that probably explains a lot of the kind of extraordinary places that the show goes to. But ultimately we have something that is proud to be a piece of pop and, and also very proud to be a piece of theater, which is why the first thing you see on stage is a jukebox and a writing desk. We, We own both of those forms. And Jen, then, where, how did you come into the picture? And, and both of your uh, Broadway credits, this and, uh, and K-pop, are both very pop-focused. Like, there's a, there's a style to, like, sort of the, the pop world. So tell me how you got attached to the show as well. Yeah. But, but then I also want to know what your background is in terms of, of the, uh, like, commercial dance versus sort of traditional dance. Because I feel like those are different paths that don't often merge. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I got I got sent the script of the show originally by someone who had actually seen K-pop uh, when it was off Broadway and thought that I might be a good fit for this. And, you know, un- unlike Luke, who was not familiar with the songs, I was like, these are like my dream songs. To choreograph. <laughs> uh, I mean, Max has written so many of my like most favorite songs. So of course I was like, so, so, so excited. And I, I ended up having a, my first meeting was in LA at Max Martin's studio. And I had no idea that's where I was going. I just had an address. And when I got there, boy, like it was not where you have a normal, like Broadway type meeting. Uh, but it was just, it was like so inspiring. Just everybody that, that I met with on, on the project, just such amazing, interesting people. Like our producers are so incredible. And then I got to meet Luke and we just really like had a, a an instant, I think, connection in our desire um, to use movement to tell stories. And I think that's sort of where my background of working both in the commercial industry, but also in theater, it sort of like all kind of comes together in Anne Juliet. Like when I watch the show on stage of, of all the shows I've ever made. It's like, feels the most like me on stage. Cause it's like my two loves of like, you know, sort of like a big pop dance explosion, but also like really clear storytelling and then how those two things come together. And Anne Juliet is something that's so, it's so unique and so exciting. Um, because you get to sort of like, think about like, you know, in a musical normally, like when the emotion rises people sing and in our show people sing and then they dance and it turns into this like you know we have like a whole nother level that we can kind of get to when that's appropriate and and it's not always the right choice so there's also moments in the show that are very still and very quiet um you know so it's 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 like movement can be so um powerful but also like the still moments i think really anchor the show as well that's a really interesting call out that 
as soon as you said it, it makes sense. It's like they start singing, then they start dancing, then they start partying. The whole show becomes a party. Uh, Luke, is that is that from from your lens? Um, I, I maybe I guess it's. <laughs> it's I, I went to see a lot of pop concerts um, for research um, because I'd never been to any ever. You and, had to. It's yeah. you had to go to pop concerts. And Max's team were like, were like, "Hey, um, theater kids, we think you're great." you need to go and see some pop concerts. So I went to see them and um, like just lit up at the, the the things that I witnessed and um, I guess kind of sort of magpied a little bit and borrowed all of the the things that, that uh, made it really exciting and then hopefully took them to the next level. And there are kind of moments in the show where like if, if we take the logic of the, 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 the pop party taking over, you can see that kind of in the design as well. So spoiler alert, but when... Um, two of the characters kiss in the song I Kissed a Girl, the stage kind of levitates up and um, you can see the kind of the, the technology and the machinery literally pushing them up into the air. We, we leave that very exposed. And it's like the kind of the pop party is elevating those characters out of the story and it's like pushing its way through. And that happens with Julia in Raw as well. The, when she rises on her balcony, it's the, the pop essence and the pop party is elevating her out of the story elevating her out of this piece of theater um and so yeah i guess it, it's a it's a very conscious choice and i think also it 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 spoke it speaks to maybe where i was and where everyone who's worked on this show was when we when we made this and uh, i'm sorry to say this podcast will probably be quite sort of sycophantic and, and full of jen and i telling everyone we've had the time of our lives but it's because <laughs> Really, really, really have. And sometimes, so sometimes like like making new musicals is really hard. Um, but this it was it was hard, but in the most satisfying, brilliant, happy way. And I think we were always challenged to to make a piece that was full of joy. And um, yeah, I think that's how we felt making it is what I tend to see on stage every night and in the audience every night. And yeah, I think that there is a kind of cumulative effect to how those uh, affects each other. When when did the journey, the creative journey, start for both of you in terms of uh, like Luke? You said you got interviewed, but when when does that? When did you even get the script? When was that? When was that interview? Because I, I, I it's always so strange. Not strange, I guess, but it's it seems there's no set path between if it goes to Broadway and then West End or West End and then Broadway, or then it may, it may do regional and like even the Wiz this fall, right, is going to do a national tour and then come to Broadway. So it's kind of all over the place. And I'm always so curious to see when everyone gets involved, because sometimes it takes like literally a decade to bring something to Broadway. And sometimes you can fast track it in two years. Well, I think it was about five years ago and I got the script and I read it through and um, I had some kind of some thoughts on it which I, I knew would go kind of either one way or another. And so I had this phone call um, and um, I dialed into it. I actually subsequently realized that phone call cost me like 300 pounds because it was like calling like a, an, um, a conference line in America. But I'm very glad that I found that 300 pounds to, to have that phone call. I should have just asked for a cheaper line. Um, <laughs> and I kind of said, look, this is what I think we could do with it. And um, speaking to the producers and um, David, uh, what I hope to do with it really aligned with, I think, with where they wanted to go. So it was very surreal. A week later, I was in Sweden in like with Max, like talking about the show. And then a couple of weeks later, I was in LA 
doing the first workshop. It like it continues to blow my mind how that all happened. Um, and for a long time, I thought I was in some like crazy like hidden camera show because the whole thing was so surreal and like such an adventure. But we did the first workshop in LA, and then um, we did some more workshops in New York, and then we brought the workshops over to London. And that's really where the path became clear that we were going to open it in the UK first. Um, and um, yeah, then we opened in 2020, uh, and then obviously the pandemic hit um which you know was a, a scary moment for a show that was just finding its wings um it because we're a new show a lot of people didn't know what we were what we are and people still don't we're a title that it takes a moment for people to get their heads around it but we were just starting to sell out as the pandemic hit um and the, one of the themes of the show is is second chances so it feels like we've had this second chance after the pandemic and you know, fingers crossed, it feels like we're starting to, to, to fly again, which is amazing. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess for me, it was sort of five years ago. And it, it really was one of those shows that changed every single workshop. You know, we'd come back in and it would be different and we'd find new ideas and different approaches. And Jen, I think, you know, you, you joined quite quickly in that workshop process as well. So you, you would have seen it evolve at every step as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I came in for that first London workshop. So I think after the New York workshop is when I think everyone probably realized that it was time to bring on a choreographer. And so, yeah, that was my, my introduction. I remember so clearly like going over to London and we set like act one basically in a probably three week lab. And there are some things from that workshop that are definitely still in the show. And there are some things that have like evolved so far from, from where we started. And I think that's always been like the joy of this, of this show. And, and this is project is is like everyone continuing to like challenge themselves to push themselves, all of us, like every designer, every, you know, every creative, every actor who's been a part of it, um, you know, to keep finding new, you know, new things in it and not say, okay, well, that's the show. Like, you know, we, we've always been like, okay, how can we make it better? How can we make it stronger? No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, a lot of that comes from, you know, we're, we're a team with something to, to prove. Like we're not, I've never directed a Broadway musical before. I mean, I've not really directed a West End musical of this scale in any stretch of the imagination. I've never worked on a show with this budget or this ambition. And the, the we were trusted. We were trusted with this opportunity. And so we, we took it and we, we, we ran with it knowing that we, we had something to prove and we felt like we were the right people to do it. But I think that's why it, it as a team, we've really bonded together. It's because we all had a hunger and a, and a passion for it. Um, and also it's, it was such an unknown. It is, is such an unknown that we also had to work really hard to tell people what it was going to be and to find a way to, to communicate that to the world. Did you say that the workshop in LA didn't have any choreography? Oh, oh no. Yeah, there was no choreography. I literally walked off a plane. I've, I'd never been to LA before. Um, and um, yeah, walk, walked into a rehearsal room with this group of actors who all looked at me as the sort of, you know, British director <laughs> who didn't know any of them um, or any of the songs and somehow had to like shape it into a thing. And also you folks have very different rules over there. Like you can only do certain things in workshops, like you can't stage some of it and you can only work a certain amount of hours, which I had to get my head around as well. But yeah, the, the early workshops didn't have any choreography. 
or they might have had like some choreography but it would have been very bad because it would have been like some hand gestures that i put in or something (laughs) well that's what i was gonna bring up is that the show is so dance heavy that i think without without the dancing that's that's you know a, a third of the triangle that makes it whole is completely missing it's not a it's not what it is without the the choreography without the dancing because it it it's just perfect I'm, i i want to say like it fits everything in so well and i i guess yeah the workshop i guess is just to what figure out what what scenes you want to add what you want to cut like what are you what are you first doing in those workshops I guess it's saving budget because you don't have to hire a choreographer yet if the whole thing is going to fall on its face. But is, I mean, what's the, what's the standard in a, in a workshop like that? I, I think the key thing is without the story, you don't have anything. Without the story, none of it makes sense. Like you can be dancing, but it, it doesn't mean anything. And so those workshops were really about getting the story right and the tone right. And that came from Max. Max was like, this show cannot um, live alone on the songs. Because you can, you can go onto Spotify and listen to the songs, and that's a lovely evening's entertainment at home um, by itself. Like the, the the piece had to argue for its own existence, um, and so yeah, the workshop was about digging into the story at every level and making sure that every song had its place and tonally, what were we trying to achieve? And um, the most exciting thing about having Jen join us wasn't actually about just layering in dance moves. It was about having a choreographer's perspective on story to say, well, actually, if you like, let's dig into the story. Yeah, we can make steps up for forever, but um, like finding those story moments. Jen, can you remember what were the. Yeah, I mean. I was going to say, I think that's like so, it's so true because like to me, the steps are like the least exciting part of choreography. Like to me, the most exciting part is the collaboration with the director and with the writer and like coming up with how the dance moves the story forward or how the dance um, pulls you into the relationship between two characters or how, you know, the dance tells you something that you really want to know, but isn't told like literally in the, in the text of the script. Um, So I think like, that's where, that's where all the fun is. Like the steps are like the icing on the cake, but like exactly as Luke said, you, you know, we could, we could have made tons of like just big dance numbers with no emotion or like no narrative purpose. But I I think the show would be so boring with that. I think, I think like you wouldn't be pulled into it in the, in the way that you are because we spent so much time, um, you know, finding, finding the, the way that the show can move and, and, and the way that the language of pop can, can help us tell our story. Hmm. When Jen, when you were first like sent materials to start working on it and co- and coming up with the choreography, what do you what do you get sent? You get a do they record a workshop and send it to you? Do they send you the score as like a rough recording, or they're just like here's the script with the list of songs, do your thing? Um, it's sort of like a mix of things, you know. It's sort of like the sometimes you get like a recording of a workshop, and sometimes like you know, there's, there's even since the last workshop, things have changed. And so then you're going, you know, you're just using like, I mean, luckily these songs all exist in the world. So at least even though, you know, there's many, um, many of the songs in our show are orchestrated very different to the original, but at least there was some sort of like starting point for, for the music to, to exist. And then, 
you know, like I always work with, with, with the skeleton crew and start building some of the ideas. And then, you know, Luke and I would like riff off the ideas and Luke would come into rehearsal and throw new ideas into the, into the soup. And then we would, you know, explore that new idea. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's just a dialogue, like everything else, you just, you know, throw it back and forth and, and best idea wins. And I think one of the most important things is also knowing when you're, um, I was going to say getting it wrong, but that's not a good way of phrasing it. Knowing when you've tried something and it's less successful than it could be. So for example, we spent a lot of time in one of our workshops um, creating <laughs> a whole tap number to I Kissed a Girl. There is a whole version of I Kissed a Girl, which is a tap number that exists wow. on Jen's iPhone. Um, <laughs> it's true. If, tap shoes over. if you have a lot of money, I'll show it to you. <laughs> it's not what I'm used to. I just want to try you on. I'm curious for you. Caught my attention. I kissed a girl and I liked it. The taste of her cherry chapstick. And um, like it was like it was like a tap tap number meets stomp. Like you know it had like people like banging on bins and it was a whole thing and we, we we worked really hard on it but then because of the joy of the workshop process we were able to go like you know what that's not the most successful version of what that moment can be so let's look at other opportunities so yeah i think like the good workshops are about getting it wrong or, or less successful and then being able to go well let's try it again let's try it again rather than just sort of patting yourselves on the back and going we're doing a great job um and yeah, that's why that's why they're so vital. And yeah, they, I guess they do save budget long term because you, you hopefully you, you you get things right in a in a in a in a room. But more importantly, it's it's about having the space to to fall in love with the piece, fall out of love with the piece, and then fall back into love again with it. And also fall in love with your team, fall out of love with your team, and then fall back in love with them as well. Like there's it's yeah, you can't make new musicals without having that that space. You just can't. In a situation like that, where you completely threw out the, the, the movement concept behind a song, at what point, I mean, I guess, yeah, who, who makes the call to say like, you know what, we're starting over from scratch. We're going to, we know we want this song. We know we need this moment in the, in the story, but the, the stomp-esque tapping isn't working. I'm going to do something else. Or versus just saying, oh, let's change the instruments or let's do let's tweak it versus wipe it out and start over cool go on you go Jen. I, say, I think we we just agreed that it it just yeah. wasn't like i think it was very obvious i think it's like when you're even when you're in a workshop right and you have bare bones stuff you know it's pretty obvious when something like like works and when something doesn't work and sometimes you think you just need to like work harder on something and then other times you're like no matter how dope we make this it's just not the right tone you know, for whatever, for whatever reason. And, and to be honest, sometimes that's easier because sometimes when you're like close to having it right, but you don't quite have it right, it's, it's almost harder. Like I'm thinking about like how many versions we made of Confident over the many, many <laughs> versions of the show. And I think it's like, you know, so much of Confident as a number it involves the turntable. And we were only lucky enough to have that turntable in like our, our sort of like pre Manchester opening rehearsals, but we didn't have it before and we never had it again in rehearsal. And so some of the stuff is like, you know, you can't really make it without the thing. And so that's like a number we've, we've adjusted many times to, to figure out 
how the choreography, the storytelling, and also the like mechanics of the, of the stage can work together. And that, that's almost harder than just like throwing out the whole tap dance thing. Yeah. I think as well, like there's a, there's a, there's a culture on our show about being very supportive of each other, but also being very honest. And I think, um, some that, that all comes actually from us all, um, living in different places. You know, you have Max, uh, who's from Sweden, you have myself from London, you have Jen, who's from New York, you've got David, the playwright, who's from Canada, you've got all these different cultures. And so even though we all speak the same language, we're also negotiating around each other's work practices and uh, ways of speaking and um, experience levels. And so I think, yeah, we did hit on this kind of magical way of communicating with each other, which was like, oh, from my perspective, I'm feeling this. Oh, great. From your perspective, you're feeling that. Um, and, and I think, yeah, honesty was something that, that got us through that and, and not being not being precious about your own work. And again, I think that comes from Max. Like, you know, Max gave us this great gift of these songs, but at no point was he ever like, hey, don't do that to hit me baby one more time. That's my song. He was like, yeah, great. Try that. And like, you know, and, and so I think because he wasn't precious about his work, it allowed us to all, yeah, be generous with what we were doing and, and, and see the fun side in it. Also with the tap dance, we had a whole room of actors looking at us going, really, is this what you want? <laughs> <laughs> so I think we got the message quite loud and clear. Oh man. That's fair. Yeah. I guess if you, yeah, if you're feeling it energetically like that, then yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to back up to conversations I normally have in these episodes. Um, we dig into this a lot earlier when it's one-on-one, -on -one, but one-on-two here. It's a completely different structure. So going back to little Luke, what got you involved in theater in love for performing at first? Was it, was it performing? Was it singing, acting, or did you always know you wanted to go into directing? Well, uh, so I was born with um, my left leg uh, kind of, sort of turned in and um sort of around the wrong way so i went to ballet as a kind of form of physiotherapy um to like help turn my left leg out and of course like absolutely loved doing the ballet and um hated doing the football um and so i was like i don't want to go to football lessons let's just do more ballet and so talking about uh, soccer right not oh, yeah, american so football okay go dig it okay remember remember your language here there we go and <laughs> while, I, while i was there i sort of got spotted to be in like a show um which was great and then like from there i did some more shows so i was really lucky like I, I did some stuff in the west end and i made some films and like tv series and things like as a kind of child actor and then uh i guess sort of got into like my teenage years when i wasn't quite so sort of cute looking and sweet and sort of was suddenly like a knowing teenager um and was like i don't really want to i don't want to do these parts anymore um, it doesn't feel very me. Um, I think the last thing I ever did was a Doritos commercial where I was trying so hard to be something I wasn't. And I was like, I, that's, that's not how I want to spend my life. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, switched over to asking the sort of questions directors ask, like, well, how can we tell this story clearer? How can we, how can we create like a full world? And yeah, while I was at university, got on some shows and then, yeah, left left uni and did a balance between assisting on projects and trying to get my own work on on the the fringe like off off west end and i was very lucky that matilda um was my kind of 
space where I, I grew up. You know, I, I started working as the associate director on that at the age of, I think, 22, 23. Wow. I was quite precocious in my early 20s. I think I'm probably still quite precocious in my mid-30s. But um, I feel very lucky to have yeah, learned so much on that show. And um, yeah, it taught me everything I know. And because of working with Matilda, I think that's why I can walk into a show like Anne Juliet and not be intimidated by the scale of it, really. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my story. Jen? Like when I was a kid, I used to love to watch dance shows on television. Um, and I, I used to like record music videos and, and try to like learn the choreography. And then I would teach it. I would like teach choreography to my little brother who was a much better dancer than me. If I'm, if I'm being totally honest, (laughs) I wasn't particularly like good at dance, but I was really like passionate about it. And then I, I finally like started taking some dance classes and I grew up in a very small town in Massachusetts. And it was just like, I just like really, really fell in love with the idea of movement because I was really, really shy as a kid. And I felt so comfortable in dance as like a language, whereas like I never, ever raised my hand in school. And then I went to college and I thought, here's my moment. I'm going to like audition for all like the student performing arts groups at the University of Pennsylvania where I went to school. And I was rejected by all of them because (laughs) that I really was not good at dance. And then I I wouldn't let that rejection stop me at all. And I started like a student company called Strictly Funk, which still exists at Penn. And that's really where I got my start as a choreographer. So, you know, I started choreographing because no one else was going to hire me as a dancer. And then when I, when I was in school in Philadelphia, I sort of really fell in love with hip hop and that became my sort of like language. And then I moved to New York and I ran a, a dance company for many, many years. And that sort of became my way into theater because I also grew up going to theater. Like as, as a kid, my parents took me to Broadway. My parents were New Yorkers living in Massachusetts and, and, and they always went to theater when they were kids um, with their parents. So that tradition just continued. And, and I always loved theater and storytelling. And I didn't ever think that like, like my sort of like commercial dance world was going to like cross over with theater. But then once they started kind of coming together, it just felt like such a, such a natural fit. So I think all all my, all my work is sort of a response to all the people who said no to me. (laughs) Well, that that's really interesting because the rejection and that sort of thing often gets most people down in a way where they're like, well, I'm going to give up. I'm going to go ahead and do something else. And what was it about it, about your life or your situation at that point that said to you, like, nope, I'm doubling down on this. I'm going to prove them wrong. I mean, I wish I knew, like, to be honest, but there was definitely like a moment when I was in college when I got rejected from all the dance companies and I decided I was going to make flyers and hang them around campus and hold my own audition. You know, like, I, I don't know really like what made me do it. I guess it's just, I guess I just really wanted I wanted to dance. I wanted to choreograph. I wanted to like create things with people, you know, I think that's one of the things also about like being choreographers. Like you, you don't really work on your own. You always work with like groups of people and that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that group, like my college, like dance group became also like my closest friends. And like, you know, it, it was not just about, it was like the art, but it was also like the art and like the social world of it all. And like the whole thing. And I, I, I wish, I wish I knew when I was, you know, 18, what made me be so, so bold, but, you know, I guess I I just really wanted 
to, to do it. You know, it's the same thing as coming to New York and deciding I'm going to start a dance company. I basically did the same thing. I like made posters and hung them at Broadway Dance Center. And I was like, I'm having an audition. It's for my company. You know, there was no company, but like there was a lot of passion and there was a lot of ideas and there was a lot of drive. So, you know, that's, that's how, that's how you get started. That's so cool. Luke, I want to go, I take that back to, to you too, that you were saying that you, you left uni and uh, university college, as we call it here in the, in the Merca. Then uh, you, I think skipped over the part where you just randomly started working for Matilda the Musical, but how did that opportunity come about? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, Jenna and I have never talked about this. So when I graduated, I was meant to go and do um, a master's course in directing. I was really excited about it. And I thought I had a scholarship and that was all going to work out. And then the day that I started that course, um, I was told that the funding had been um, cut in half and that I wasn't getting it. It was going to somebody else. And so I had to leave that course. Um, and so uh, I actually, I set up my own company as well, which I'd sort of had left over from college. And Jen and I have never spoken about this. And I literally invented like email addresses. So like accounts at the company name.com and like casting at companyname.com. And it was literally me. So when people would be like, hey, can you pay this invoice? I'd be like, oh yeah, just email the accounts team. And it was just <laughs> um but yeah, so like I, I ran that company not very well. Um, but alongside that, just like had this chip on my shoulder and wrote a lot of letters. Basically didn't take no for an answer when it came to Matilda, because when it was announced my everything just in my heart was like that show is something i have to work on i loved working on musicals i loved working with kids i loved like the idea of being doing a show at the rsc that wasn't shakespeare yeah so i just i wrote letter after letter and i I think they told me no six times and then on the seventh letter they were like okay like come and have a chat and um yeah it kind of went from there really but wow ironic yeah. Ironically, you're back in the Shakespeare world again with Andrew. <laughs> yeah, but not not Shakespeare as you know it. <laughs> no, I like I like how they, you call him Will Shakes. Will Shakes in the show. That's that's what I've always called him forever. Um, no, it's 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 beautiful. Uh, I guess testaments both of you to to taking. I mean, it's it's stupid and cliche to say like uh, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? But it, I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. Is that if you if you're not able to follow the traditional path that most people are able to follow to do something, you make your own. And we're seeing you two are, are, are two of the latest um, incarnations of these stories that I've now heard of. Like the, some of the most successful people are the people who make themselves the best versions of themselves. They're not trying to be anybody else. They're not trying to imitate somebody else or do somebody else's path. You do what you love and you follow that and you don't take no. I'd say for me, it took me a while to work that out. And maybe I am still working that out a little bit, you know, I, probably for the first 10 years of doing this, maybe a little bit longer. I, I thought a lot more about the work that I should be doing or the work that like I was looking around and everyone else was doing. I was like, I should be doing like that. I should be putting on that type of work. That's what everybody will want and take me seriously. And I, I think Juliet has taught me a real lesson actually about being really like honest to who you are and um you know like and, and shakespeare is that in the piece he, he worries a lot about you know what will the critics say you know will people think my work is highbrow enough 
And actually, one of the points of Anne Juliet is like, don't be afraid to make work for the people. And, and of course, Shakespeare's work is populist in its own way as well, just like pop music. But I think, yeah, Juliet has, has been the show that has given me the confidence to really embrace who I am and the work that I want to make and, and not be afraid of that and not to just spend time worrying about what I should be doing, focus on what my heart is telling me it should be doing. Mm. Yeah, it's so it's so hard to like um, to think about like, you know, the sort of like experience of Juliet and how that is impacting things in the future because it's just been so amazing. You know, it's hard it's hard to like think of anything that's less than than that that project and the people and and the work and the experience because you know it, it's just been it's like like Luke said we we could just gush forever about it, our time making the show but it's kind of ruined us a little bit I think because now our standard of like what we want to do is is you know it's it's this show has I think definitely influenced that yeah and, and we were given you know we were given permission to think big like I, I walked into the room one day and was like joking. I was like, and then Romeo is going to like descend from the ceiling. And the producers were like, great. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. I literally was like, I love one of my favorite surprise moments is Romeo's entrance, which he literally descends from the ceiling. Yeah. I, mean, I might have said Romeo descends on a jetpack um, originally, and I didn't get the jetpack. So there we go. I did make some compromises. Um, but yeah, like we were given like permission to think big, to think bold, you know, you'd like, we, I, you know, let's have 16 confetti machines. Okay. Let's make it happen. Um, and ironically, they're the cheapest thing in the show. Like they're, they're, those confetti machines, we get a lot of value out of those. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were given, we were given space to, to think big and, and we're very spoiled by that. That's very cool. That's very cool. Okay. So I want to, um, also I'll note that, I mean, you can continue to, to make uh, all of this amazing, or, uh, continue the experience because then you're going to now have the first national tour you're going to have to put together. And then the first uh, inter interstellar tour, because like we need a, we need a performance on the moon and then our colony on Mars. So it's just going to continue forever. You guys going to be there forever. But I want to wrap up here with three closing questions. I ask everybody on the episodes and you'll each get to answer. So we'll go back and forth. The uh, first one, Jen, we'll start with you. Just what motivates you? Uh, I think what motivates me is the people that I have in the room. I think that's where motivation comes from. It's like in that moment, like being inspired, like no matter how much you prepare, sometimes you end up just throwing it all out because of what you're feeling in the, in the moment and just being open to that. And that, that's what, that's the motivation for me. Luke? Um, I think audiences. Um, because without them, we have nothing. And I don't think we can take audiences for granted. We have to continue to make work that they want to see. And um, I think about like the, the joy that I get from seeing theatre that really excites me and also the, the joy that little Luke got from seeing theatre a long time mm -hmm. ago, which is why he does this job. So yeah, I think it's about speaking to audiences and, and particularly new audiences, people, new audiences who might feel that theater is something that's not for them. I like, I, I'm motivated by trying to convince them that it, it can be. It's ironic you said that. I had a friend just this morning reach out to me after I convinced her to go see Anne Juliet because she's not a theater person. And I said, if you're going to go see one show, like see this show because it's, it's different. You're going to like it if you already know all the songs, I promise. She's like, fine. 
So I heard this morning, she's like, I, I love it. It's the best thing. I thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So you've, you've already swayed at least one that I can report on. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Luke, we'll start with you for this next question. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Uh, make sure you get your sleep. Mm -hmm. um, because I think, you know, it's really interesting talking earlier about, um, not taking no for an answer and, you know, working really hard. And that's not always a healthy way to approach it. And I, I look back and there's definitely times where the chip on my shoulder and like the determination to do what I wanted to do, like probably wasn't always a healthy way to approach things that so, like sending emails through the night and not sleeping um, is not a great thing to do. So yeah, I would probably tell myself to just get a little bit more sleep because <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm losing my hair now and I might have held on to it a little bit longer if I'd have got a bit more lost. <laughs> Jen, what about you? I think it's so important to like, for people as artists to figure out what makes them unique and to really like cultivate that. I think, especially today with so much like on the internet, it's so easy to just constantly like compare yourself to other people and to just try to be like other people um, because you see what they're doing on social media and you just think you should do exactly that. And I think that's not going to work necessarily. I think it's much more important to, to like really figure out what makes you not like everyone else on social media and then go with that as like, you know, what's going to put you ahead. Mm. That's beautiful. Okay. Last question. This is the hardest one. Luke, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? That's not fair. It's Jen's turn to go first. This time. <laughs> oh, God. You ask that to everyone. Yeah. Does everyone get as cross about it as I am? Yeah, they, they get angry. They get mad. They say it's an unfair question. It's not a fun game. Which is, this isn't a game. This is life, man. I'm just going to go with Anne Juliet because obviously that's the show I want to see the most amount of times. I've also, I'm pretty sure I have seen it the most amount of times yeah. and I still don't get bored of it. Like, you know, I, we just, you know, like we just came from seeing it a million times in, in Melbourne and it was amazing every single one of those times. And I cannot wait to see it this week on Broadway. You see, I'm I'm humble and British and have a sort of false modesty. So I can't really say I own show. Oh, you totally can this because you, you totally can. I'm I am going to say Anne Juliet, but <laughs> I think I'm going to say that because seeing it in Melbourne was like watching it have its own like inertia and its own sense of momentum now. And I can say it because I don't think it just belongs to us anymore. That show belongs to a whole, you know, a host of people, hundreds of people now who've touched it in London, in Manchester, Toronto, New York, and Melbourne. It now lives in the hands of, of others. And, and it lives in the hands of people who find something in it that speaks to who they are. And I find that really exciting to watch. And there's moments now where I watch it and I go like, I, I, I see things in it that I've never seen in it before because it's in the hands of people who are discovering what it means to them. So yeah, I am going to say Anne Julia and, and be very un-British about it, but because I think it now belongs to other people and not just to us. It's interesting you mentioned the audience finding themselves in it too, because something really interesting that uh, I forgot to touch on earlier was um, Max Martin's songs. All of the songs in the show, they're top 10 Billboard hits from the last three decades, 30 years. So you can find, if you don't already know the songs, you know some of them, if 
if not all of them. So they're and they're top hits. They're already proven chart toppers. So there's nostalgia and memories that come back accompanied with almost every single one of these songs for probably every audience member. Right. So like I, I, I didn't know some of the, the new, new ones that have come out in the last few years because I've shifted into listening to Broadway, but like everything I heard in, in high school and college, I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. These songs brought back so much great, great, great memories and nostalgia. And like the energy, the feeling of connecting with this along with a story of course that we've known in different forms for a bajillion years and presented in a pop concert way it's just chef's kiss Mwah. beautiful hats off to both of you so um online social media do you guys do that where can we find you both well i i sort of i i'm a i sort of lurk on it but i'm not very proactive on it but humble and every, british humble and british yeah well, but jen's very good at it so every every now and then jen will do a story and i'll share jen's story so <laughs> you, if you're going to find anyone you can find find jen on um social media and then you can uh, you'll probably find me lurking around there somewhere what's your <laughs> How do we find you? my, my instagram is jennifer weber nyc with one b Weber with one, one B. Yeah. 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 I think uh, I, I reckon mine is like Luke J. Shepard UK or something. Where was it? Very proud of where we're from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll find us there somewhere. Say hello. All <laughs> right. Uh, you can go to the theaterpodcast.com, find more episodes like this and the others from the and Juliet Podcast Take Over. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Still don't know what I'm doing on any of them. Leave a rating wherever you're listening now. And Jen and Luke, thank you so much. This has been really great meeting you both. Thank you. It's too late, but I want it that way. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a heart. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a mistake. Tell me why. I never want to hear you say. I want it that way. But I want it that way. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.